it is a potentially business threatening problem. So you've got to look at your inventory or your stock turnover rates. How quickly are you turning your cash into stock and stock back into cash? Most importantly, you've got to identify slow moving stock. And this is where uh, revenue uh, or sales is different from profit, is different from cash flow. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. Hey there, folks. Welcome to a new year in business in e-commerce. My name is Michael Vesey. I'm the host of the amazing FBA podcast and the leader of the 10K Collective Mastermind. And today we're going to talk about dealing with your new year planning. The first thing to do before we look at the new year going forwards, we're going to look backwards at the year that's just passed. Now, January is when I'm recording this, and that's a natural time to reflect on things because number one, Q4 is very busy for a lot of people. Number two, it's a quieter, more dead time of year, at least in Northern Europe here in the UK it is. And so it's a natural time to reflect on things. Why is reflection important? Well, I think uh, two things. Number one, if you don't learn from the past, you're condemned to repeat it. I think some Mark Swain said that. And it's true. If you don't do this, you're going to have two problems. One is you're going to repeat problems that you did before because you haven't learned the lessons. That's pretty tragic. Bad experiences have only one real upside, which is the learnings you get from them. So that's the first thing. The second thing, and it's just as important, is it's very easy to do things that work and just miss them because you're busy firefighting over here against something that really didn't work or that was a disaster, you know, listing suspension, God forbid, account suspension, products that don't arrive on time and so on and so forth. It's easy to miss the stuff that works. So that is why an annual review is absolutely critical. So we've got 11 steps today for no particular reason that number came out. Let's get started. Step one is reviewing your marketing metrics, particularly on the Amazon marketplace sales. Of course, everyone's obsessed with that, but conversion rate Customer feedback, or I should say product reviews, are probably more important, but you need to look at both. You really need to make sure you're identifying what your best performing products are. And one nuance is that if you look at the conversion rate as well as the sales, you may find a product that has a really good conversion rate. That means people who see the product uh, like it, or they see the listing page rather, but they haven't seen, not many people have seen it, then you won't get many high, high sales. So any product which has a decent conversion rate uh, on Amazon that could be anywhere 20, 30, 40%. Really, it's relative to your economics. But anything that is higher than your average in your catalog, shall we say, it's worth re revising which ones are those and plan to send some traffic to them. Now, the best way to do that is probably Amazon advertising, but you should at least note which ones they are. 
And then you need to also think about the Amazon algorithm changes and, and how that's affected you during the year. Now, it's hard to differentiate between that and your, your competition, but you may find that the Amazon algorithm is obviously responsible for certain products going down and you've got to dig into what's happening there. That's hard to figure out on your own. You may want to get a consultant in who's an expert or talk about it in a mastermind if you're a member of one, which is one reason why the 10K Collective Mastermind is so useful, people experiencing similar stuff try to tease out what's going on. So that's the Amazon marketing metrics. And if you haven't really got a good handle on your metrics yet, now is a good time to sort of gather that information together in a neat place, maybe some kind of spreadsheet, or you download your Amazon reports and, and file them away somewhere, because don't forget that data will be wiped out by Amazon within 18 months, which is surprisingly soon if you're running a business for the longer term. And make sure you start to track this more regularly. So now is a good opportunity to pull that together. Okay, step two, financial review and profitability review above all. What happens in Q4 for anyone who's Q4-centric, i.e. you know, stuff that gets bought a lot at Christmas, is that a lot of sales get made and then it takes time. Now you're beginning to piece that together. If it's mid-January for you, most likely you and your accounting team and working out whether you've actually made profits. <laughs> it's really, really important not just to identify the product lines that made sales, which is easy enough to do, or to work out the profitability of your business as a whole, which is a much harder job, which takes an accountant and, and or a bookkeeper and some serious work, or you if you're doing those roles. But it's really important, in my opinion, to work out the, the profitability as in the gross profit or the contribution margin, if you wish to be more precise, given by each one of your products lines individually. And if you have a big catalog of 100 plus product lines, the sort of groups of product lines or products areas or whatever you want to call it categories so that you can really break down which products are contributing to your profit. You won't surprise yourself by how skewed this is. In other words, you will find the 80-20 rule kicks in to everything, including this. So you may find that 20% of your product catalog, if you had 10 products, maybe that's two, will contribute 80% of your profit and then 20% will contribute to 80% of your losses. So you may find that as one product line or one set of products that's actually losing you a ton of money and you hadn't noticed because you hadn't reviewed that. This is obviously something you've got to do month in, month out anyway, but annual is a good opportunity, particularly January if it's a dead time for you, which it is for a lot of people. Great time to do that. Really make sure you're not missing Amazon fees. Particular ones that come up are the referral fees, otherwise known as their sales commission. Uh, a lot of products are charged 15% commission by Amazon when they get reclassified by them mysteriously. In the mastermind, we've seen this recently when they should be at, say, 13%. And that adds up if your margin's only a few percent, your operating margin for your business, that few percent could be half or a third of your margin, couldn't it? So go and get after those, go and really notice those. Shipping costs may be changing without you noticing. Storage costs can be substantial especially in Q4, especially in America. And then you can start discussing strategies with your team for improving profit margins. Now that is a thing about going forwards, but I would say first thing is identify what your profit margins actually were, not what they normally are or what you think they should be, but the actual facts and just the facts, ma'am. Okay, step three, inventory management. Ooh, this is an important one. The way that this was put to me the other day by one of our guests coming up, Burak Bolger, he's been helping with international shipping for a number of years for e-commerce operators. And really, he sees it the same way I do, which is that inventory is frozen cash or cash is liquid inventory. They're two sides of the same coin. And if your inventory management is bad, it basically means your cash flow management is bad. And if that's the case, your business is 
at risk because if you run out of cash, you are out of business. That is one of the few guarantees in this game. So inventory is not just a, a logistical, practical problem. It is a potentially business threatening problem. So you've got to look at your inventory or your stock turnover rates. How quickly are you turning your cash into stock and stock back into cash? Most importantly, you've got to identify slow moving stock. And this is where uh, revenue uh, or sales is different from profit, is different from cash flow. You may be getting a profitable product. You may be getting good sales and profits. But if it takes you a year to turn your stock, then that is tying up a ton of cash. And I would argue that is hard to make your business work like that. I've seen my clients do it in the mastermind and it's not an attractive business. It's not sellable. And in my opinion, that means something's wrong. You need to re-engineer something in your business. Now, this is not we're not specializing in that today. We're getting an overview of your business, so I won't go down that rabbit hole, but you have to at least identify what is the all turnover rate and, and where is the slow moving stock. It may well be that those, that, that stock doesn't sell well either, but it could be that it sells quite well, but you're ordering vast amounts of it in each go. Well, you know what the solution to that is and break it up into smaller shipments. And you can do things like ordering uh, one year's worth of stock from say China or wherever you order from, but then getting it dip, drip fed in four you know, quarterly sets of inventory for quarterly shipments and uh, paying quarterly as well. So you're effectively turning your stock over four times, even though it's one purchase order. So you can get the best of both worlds there if you engineer it right, meaning you get uh, a good price because you're ordering a lot of stuff. So a low cost price, but you're also turning your stock over. So that is really, really important. Apart from stock turn, optimizing the supply ch chain at every point is really helpful because every single day in inventory you reduce is an increase in your cash available for other things like paying for advertising or indeed paying yourself a salary or even a profit dividend, I should say. So looking at every part of it really with a fine tooth comb, you know, where, what happens in the factory, how long does it take to produce things? Could that be improved in terms of the speed without actually changing the quality? That kind of thing. Other things to think about with supply chain processes, you may think that you can compromise, for example, between profits. Another supply chain thing you might consider is sea freight versus air freight. If you add up your numbers and you have a light product, you may discover that it actually makes more sense to turn your cash over quickly and air freight stuff over rather than, yes, you will get a higher profit margin if it's by sea freight, but it will tight your products for a long time. Not a simple decision, but something to talk about with your accountant and really make a clear decision. That's optimizing really for cash flow. I guess there you may find though that you can just chop bits of time off from your supply chain process. For example, if you do really great pre-shipment inspection, then you shouldn't have to do anything complex when it goes from say China to the US. You might be able to ship directly into Amazon warehouses, which will cut out a a part of the process where it goes to somebody else and they inspect it. Now, stockouts versus overstock. <laughs> Let's talk about this. Nobody ever gets this right and nobody probably ever will because it means predicting the future with absolute accuracy. And that's hard to do in any context. And when you're dealing with consumer goods where it's led by whims of consumers, I don't think anyone's going to get it perfect. So you are to some degree going to be overstocked with certain products or out of stock. And really you've got to make a decision which way you want to air. If you have a a fast selling product and it's profitable, I think you want to err on the side of overstock to a degree. If you have very little cash left, then you want to understock things. However, I don't think you should do it across the board. I think it needs to be very specific to each product line 
And let's not be too rocket science about this. Normally, what I see is that a lot of sellers just go out of stock on their best sellers time and time again, which is a hint that they are understocked on those uh, products, which isn't surprising because they sell the best, hence the name bestseller. However, when you look at the rest of their catalog, there's often a lot of slow moving stock that they haven't had the courage or the conviction to just kill off. And if that's you, then I would suggest that the simple but effective, you know, brutal but effective method is that you sell through your underperforming stock, i.e. that sits there tying up cash and just drips out some profits. You sell that through, maybe even at a loss, you turn that into cash and then you turn that cash into stock of your best selling products. Now that's the kind of horseshoes and hand grenades version, as Jason Miles would put it, my friend in the T-E-L-D, Commerce Leader podcast. But, you know, you may not hear more nuanced version than that, but that's not a bad approach. Anyway, so that is inventory management. A lot to work on there. Very, very important. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening. Step four, Amazon algorithm and SEO review. Now, we've already mentioned the algorithm and how it might have impacted your particular products. I think it's good to look at changes in the algorithm that have been coming up during the year. It's really uh, one of those areas where you can go down a rabbit hole and start speculating wildly. But if you're plugged into the right podcasts and listening to the right experts, like the people we try to get on here, and or even better, in a mastermind group of if really active sellers who really have their ear to the ground, this can be an invaluable thing to keep an eye on. It's going to shift all the time. So an annual review is only going to catch the most recent things, but it's a good time to do things. You need to review your product listings for SEO effectiveness. And again, the algorithm's always changing. The latest uh, scare as of time of recording is AI is being let loose to change people's listings without control of the people who are selling the products, which is a little bit worrying, scary, annoying, all those things, the usual experience of an Amazon seller, right? But that is something that you're going to have to review, for example. And don't, uh, again, don't overcomplicate this. It is a nuanced, complex field. But one of the things you can do is just make sure you've got all the relevant keywords in, do some solid keyword research, and make sure you've really got that work done thoroughly 
for your most important listings. Again, 80-20 this. Don't try and do this for all your catalog. If you have a huge catalog and you don't have a big team, but you should definitely be doing that for your best sellers. By the way, what you think of as SEO optimization, as in making it better, may in the eyes of Amazon be making it worse. So be prepared for the fact that when you change stuff, it's not always for the better. You've got to look at the metrics before and after any changes and clock the changes you make. Make sure you you get that in a spreadsheet somewhere. You capture every single change to every listing. It's a pain to be that organized, but I promise you it's worth it because then if there's a big old change and your metrics change, then you can relate cause and effect to each other as opposed to going, what the hell happened? I have no idea, right? Which is common for all of us. And then finally, you know, you might want to improve product discoverability on the platform in general, which might be using ads as well. I mean, that's really a separate thing to talk about there. So talking of which, step five is all about advertising and marketing effectiveness. So really, this is becoming increasingly important as you, as the, the platform becomes really, what's the word, more ad-centric or that, you know, Amazon is monetizing the platform more and more. It's getting harder and harder to just rely on organic SEO. So it's going to be very unusual to be able to ignore this. So you've got to evaluate the performance of your PPC campaigns. And, you know, there's uh, quite a lot of science that goes into this. If it's not your bag, get a consultant in. You can hire an entire agency to run these things for you. Sure, if you're a big enough uh, seller, that could work for you. If your main focus is uh, other channels and not Amazon. But if you are an Amazon-focused person, my experience with most of the Mastermind members, well, all of them so far that I can think of, is that it's rare for them to just hire a PPC agency and that's it. Normally, you need to be pretty good at understanding the campaign. So rather than just outsourcing it to an agency, I would suggest that everyone gets a consultant in and that's not me. I'm not an expert in Amazon ads. They are specialist business these days. But get somebody in who you know and trust. And uh, again, a mastermind is really helpful for recommendations of people like that. And really get a professional analysis of what's going on, not just how much stuff is selling or increasing revenue or growing growth or metrics like that, or what actually gets a return on investment. Be aware that ROAS or return on ad spend is not really return on investment because the return on ad spend traditionally is the sales, not profit, divided by the ad spend. Well, that's all very well, but if you've got a 20% gross margin, for example, on your products and you spend, you get $10,000 of sales and you've only spent $2,000 on ads, it looks like a ROAS of five times. Well, that sounds lovely, but actually if you've got a 20% margin, it means you've broken even, doesn't it? You spent $2,000, you made $2,000 in gross profit. Yeah, so just think about this stuff from a very, very financially driven perspective. That's all I would say. I mean, the, the nuances of ads are not my bag, but be driven by the numbers, as in the financial numbers, before you worry about marketing, you know, numbers out there. Um, don't get blinded by science. So what else can we say? You really need to think about the possibility of new advertising opportunities and channels on Amazon. Caveat, review what's actually worked and do more of that first. And that's really what the focus is today. If you get obsessed with trying out branded ads, for example, or something that doesn't produce a return on investment in a more measurable way, the danger can be that you're neglecting the ads that are working, so sponsored ads, which still often have a lot of work left to do to optimize them. So what I'm saying is review what's working and as well as culling the stuff that isn't working, putting negative keywords in, turning campaigns off or reducing bids and so forth, don't forget to double down what is working before you get seduced by shiny objects. Amazon 
loves to produce shiny, shiny objects in its advertising platform these days. And the reason is quite simple. It's to make Amazon money. So if it makes you money, that's a bonus as far as I'm concerned, I think. So don't get seduced. Go and look at what's working, what isn't working. Do a thorough analysis. And then, only then, look at the new stuff. Okay, on to step five, customer feedback and reviews. Oof, this is so important. If your products aren't really being well received, you've got to really think about, you know, actual fundamental changes to the products themselves. It's expensive and a pain. And so that's why we don't tend to rush to do it. And you shouldn't rush to do it. But if the honest truth is that people generally don't like your product um, in its current form, then you've got a couple of choices. You can kill the product off or you can go and, and tweak the product design. My strong, strong suggestion here is before you go from an you know analysis to action is in between, you're going to go and talk to some customers and give them, if you have anybody you can talk to, or give a sample of your new product, get some feedback from actual users. In fact, you can reach out to any of the, the disgruntled users if you've got them um, off Amazon, as it were, if you can contact them, if you've got an email address that is outside the Amazon bubble, then you can contact them and say, look, I'm sorry to hear about your feeling about the product. I would love to send you a free product for your uh, evaluation. And by the way, this is not a way to try to turn a negative review around. It's actually trying to get genuine feedback to get a better product. That's actually going to make you more money uh, in the long run. It's hard work. Negative reviews and strategies for improvement. You've got to have a strategy for dealing with negative reviews that is more pure marketing based than just as radical as changing the actual products. So that probably includes things like, you know, reaching out to people via the Amazon system, giving them refunds, reviews, whatever. So having a structured way of doing that, this is something we talked about a million times on the podcast. I'm not going to rehash too much of that, but a lot of, lot of people don't have a structured way of doing it and they are a bit mean spirited. And that's just selling really expensive products. I think you should be very generous in trying to get people to turn around negative reviews. And then make sure you've evaluated the impact of positive and negative reviews on sales. I, I would suggest that they are pretty high. If my experience, if you have a half point or half star reduction in your average rating, it tends to produce a, a big reduction in the, the conversion rate it can be as much as half in my experience. Whether that's true for your products, I don't know. So again, once again, you've got to really track this stuff. If you have the number of reviews at any given point, Amazon doesn't really track the history of this very well for you, in my experience. So it's worth having a separate spreadsheet in which you not only note any changes you make or your staff make, price changes, changes in pictures, changes in advertising, advertising spend, etc., reach listing, but also that you look at what's happened externally. You know, what happened? Did, did Amazon suspend the listing for a bit and that's hitting its ranking? And did that affect ranking later after that? Or has there been negative reviews that come in? And it's really important to track that. So again, you can tease out cause and effect relationships. Okay, next step. Step seven, competitor analysis. Again, really, really important. If you're stuck in your own bubble, shoving product out the door in Q4, now is the time to breathe and look at what other choices your consumers have. So rather than think of it from your point of view and they're your competitors, look at it from the consumer point of view and they are the other options that the consumers have when they go shopping on Amazon. And try and identify competitive advantages and areas where you're weak so that you can start working on improving those. That's really, really valuable insight because that's really the way that consumers think and shop. It, it's relative to everything else. Your products are relative to their other choices. Let's put it that way. S step eight. Let's stop that. 
Step eight, product line review. Again, this is so important. We talked about this before in the financial viability bits, but I think it's worth reiterating that you need to break down product line by product line, not just sales, but profits and the cash flow characteristics product by product. First of all, look at your established products, ones that you've had going for several years, possibly. How did they do? Have they held up uh, in this year or are they starting to look dated or, or somehow being knocked off by the competition, etc.? And what about products that you launched in this last year? How did they fare? Did they live up to expectations? And that's really, by the way, a sort of meta question, isn't it? What worked as expected? What worked better than expected? What worked worse than expected? The reason that's a kind of meta question is not just reviewing how well your products did, but you're reviewing how good your predictive powers were. In other words, you thought this product was going to sell 10,000 units a month and it sold 50. Okay, well, that's kind of cool, but it also means your ability to predict the future for your products isn't that accurate. It's obviously less cool if you predict your product's going to sell 10,000 units a month and it sells 100. That's pretty disastrous. But you've got to look at the relationship between what you predicted at the beginning of the year and what you actually had at the end of the year. And I think that's an important thing to keep doing year on year or month on month for that matter as well so that you can hone your ability to predict the future or you can be aware of how accurate your predictions are. You'd probably be quite shocked by the fact that they're not that accurate in most cases. Not for individual product lines. If you've got it overall about right across your product catalogue, you're still doing pretty well in my opinion. Predicting consumer behaviour, predicting um, your competitors' behaviour, predicting the economics of, of the marketplace as a whole, not easy things. So don't beat yourself up, but do be aware of how accurate your predictions were, your predictions and projections, I should say. Three more segments to go. Step nine is technology and tools assessment. Review the effectiveness of your current e-commerce tools and software stack. Really important to do this. This is definitely something you don't want to do every month in mid-flow, but the, well, annually is a good rhythm for this. There may be tools that you're using that are simply don't work anymore for that they're not fit for purpose. So your email marketing done by MailChimp or Aweber may not be up to speed, you might move over to Clavio or consider it. You might identify things you don't use very much and actually just stop using them because that's an overhead you don't need. You could identify gaps or opportunities for improvement generally. And then this is a bit more of a one for your planning, but you might start discussing the, the technologies that you've come across elsewhere that could help you. AI copywriting is an obvious one had guests on to talk about that. This is again, something where there's a lot of fluff and noise out there in the marketplace of, of Amazon sellers, but there's also useful stuff. And to differentiate between the two of them, it really helps to have a sort of board of advisors or trusted friends or, you know, mastermind that can be a really great place to go, right, is it, I saw so-and-so using this and it seemed to work really well for them. That's a really great use of a mastermind. Again, this is about reviewing. So try and look at what actually worked rather than what you hope may work in the coming year. Try and try and differentiate between those things. Final point on that is simple, but important. Most of what we do doesn't matter. Most tools we, we buy aren't that expensive and don't do much to move the needle either. So don't micromanage this, but do be prepared to cut things that don't work. Uh, a friend of mine who's been selling on Amazon for years now has a credit card that he uses for his software stack. And every six months he cancels that credit card and gets a new one. Very easy with Revolut and things like that these days to do that. It's a rather brutal way of forcing himself to reevaluate every six months whether he needs the, stuff, the software stack that he's got. That's not the worst approach in the world, in my opinion. It's quite brutal, but it's effective. You don't have to be that tough on it, but 
uh, at least it automates the process rather than you micromanaging it. So don't micromanage. Most of what you do doesn't matter that much. But if something's spectacularly costly, costly and made terrible mistakes, then get rid of it. And if something's really seriously effective, make sure you do more of it. And those are the things that move the needle. Last two steps. Step 10, celebrating success. Don't forget to do that. Lessons learned. Reflect on the achievements of your last annual planning process, assuming you had one. Discuss the challenges you faced and the lessons you've learned. So even if you haven't had the financial results or the sales results that you wanted this year, and many people found 2023 to be a tough year, if that's the year you're listening to this. Nevertheless, it is good to have learned the lessons. And that is in itself good business practice and shows that you are even if you had a tough year and 2023 as the year has gone has been quite a tough one for many people if that's the year you're listening to this in. Nevertheless, your ability to roll with the punches and learn from experience is in itself a profoundly important strength of you and your team and your business. So it's worth celebrating that as well. And then finally, don't forget to share best practices. I mean, it's an obvious thing and yet easily overlooked. If you have learned some good stuff. Don't be shy about telling other people in your team. And indeed, if you're in a mastermind, be generous and share best practices there. And then other people will share them with you. That works really, really well. I know that because I've been running a mastermind in e-commerce since September 2017. So for a long time, works very, very well. So sharing best practices is a great thing. The last step I popped in because I felt that this was important to sort of summarize a lot of the detail that we've gone over. There's a lot to think about. Step 11 is to do a SWOT analysis, so kind of quick and dirty analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats for the business. It's a bit of a snapshot of the business ad. It's like a sort of strategy level equivalent of a balance sheet, you know, so a balance sheet is a snapshot of the liabilities, the things that a business owes, and the assets, the things that a business owns at a certain point in time. And I think a SWOT analysis is like sort of strategy version of that. Worth doing that. You can start to think then, of course, after that, what, how to leverage your strengths and opportunities and how to address weakness and mitigate threats. But first thing is, again, to identify it and make sure you, you've clocked this stuff in the first place. Again, taking your head out of the detail and looking at the e-commerce landscape that your products and your business are part of it is really helpful for that. So let's just summarize the key things from the annual review process. So I'm going to suggest that these 11 steps. Number one, marketing metrics analysis. Try to relate that to the financials. Step two is the financial review. Analyze your financial statements, profitability, evaluate shipping fees and so forth like that. Number three is inventory management and supply chain management. Absolutely critical to work on this. It's a hard nut to crack, always worth working on. Even incremental improvements in this can really affect your cash flow, which really affects everything about your business, including the fact that you might still be in business in 12 months time. Cash flow is, in the end, the most important thing, in my opinion. Uh, number four, Amazon algorithm and SEO review. Make sure you understand how your products listings have been performing uh, relative to the Amazon algorithm's expectations in the past year. Number five, advertising effectiveness and marketing effectiveness. How well have your PPC campaigns done? By the way, hint, how profitable have they been? What's the return on investment, not just the ROAS? Number six, customer feedback and uh, product reviews. Obviously critical analyze what's gone on and look at the impact on the conversion rates, sales and profits as well. Try and tie that in to the financial metrics. Number seven is competitor analysis. Absolutely critical not to set your laurels just because your product worked 12 months ago doesn't mean your competition hasn't improved on theirs. 
In the meantime, number eight, product line review. Review the sales, revenue, and profit by established products. This is almost a subset of the financial analysis, but it's very product-centered. And the difference is you may make some decisions on the back of this that certain products need to go. Certain products have done better than you expected. Number nine, technology and tools. Review your current stack, basically. Number 10, celebrate success and lessons learned. Really important to celebrate with your team. And number 11, SWOT analysis. So do a quick snapshot of where you're at relative to your competition and what you can do about it. So hope you found that useful. It's sometimes a little bit dry. I'm aware that what, what we've been doing today isn't the most exciting stuff, but it is really important. The insights you gain from this, it may not be many insights that come out of this that are really important. In fact, you might do, you know, 11 steps that we talked about today, spend quite a lot of time on it, and you only come out with three or four things that are really important. Okay, well, I'm fine with that because those four things could be the things that make all the difference to your business. If you just identify one product line that has absolutely killed it and you kind of neglected just because you were busy firefighting, one advertising campaign that was uh, terribly wasteful and you've turned that off and saved yourself $15,000 a year or even per month. And if you identify a competitor that's about to eat your lunch and do something about it, well, my friends, that has been a very worthwhile process. So trust that this stuff works. Try and be rigorous with it and have a bit of fun as well. I think celebrating with your team after you've done all this work uh, is really important. If you're a solopreneur or have a small team or want people to reflect with, don't forget that a mastermind can be really, really helpful. I'm obviously biased because I run one, but the reason I still run a mastermind is because people still keep joining it and staying for a long time. And the reason they stay is because they get great value from it. So if you find that helpful, if you think you might find that helpful, go and check out the amazonmastermind.com where we have the details for the amazing FBA mastermind, which is called the 10K Collective. Just checking that URL is still working. Amazingly, it is. And we've got some exciting stuff coming up in 2023. Uh, sorry, 2024, I should say. And a lot more expert-led sessions, as well as the, the meat and potatoes of the group, which is meeting in person in London, as well as on Zoom as well. So that could be a great place to learn to reflect with your fellow entrepreneurs. But either which way, whether you do it on your own with a team, with a mastermind, I urge you to do this wonderful productive work and I hope that it gives you the insights that will help you make the 2024 or whatever the year is next for you the best it can be. Thanks for listening. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Thanks for listening to the 10k collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and if you're on Apple podcasts please do leave us a quick star rating. It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. 
I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.